Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Tom Kraus. With me today is Kyle Robb, ASHP's Director of State Policy and Advocacy, and Anna Dopp, ASHP's Senior Director of Clinical Guidelines and Quality Improvement. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's dive into today's topic, empowering pharmacists to treat opioid use disorder. And we have some new resources from ASHP uh, to share with you that, that we're providing to states to help them utilize pharmacists in that fight against opioid use disorder. So to get us started, why don't we talk about the federal landscape for medications for opioid use disorder? I think many listeners may be familiar with the X waiver, which was a federal barrier to prescribing medications for opioid use disorder. That was established through something called the Data 2000 Act, you know, more than 20 years ago. Uh, and that that X waiver was intended to uh, avoid diversion or misuse of medications for opioid use disorder, but it really ended up being a, a barrier to treatment. Um, and in fact, most uh, only 7% of opioid prescribers were able to issue a prescription for uh, buprenorphine. Um, many of those that were able to prescribe weren't actively engaging in that, that practice. 90% of patients with opioid use disorder uh, did not receive evidence-based treatment uh, in the in the in the preceding year. So this has really been a, a clinical challenge. Um, and, and of course, everyone is probably very familiar with the extremely high uh, number of opioid opioid-related overdoses and deaths, which which are asked to be estimated to be over a hundred thousand per year in the United States. So this is a, this is a obviously a very serious issue and really a, a public health crisis across. Uh, the country. So Congress is aware of that and looked at that X waiver requirement and has done a few things over the years to try to shape it. They've tried to expand the number of providers that could, could get that X waiver so that they could engage in prescribing of, of buprenorphine, but it was still quite a barrier. And, and one of the one of the barriers was that pharmacists were, were not listed as an eligible provider to get that X waiver. And so even if a pharmacist was licensed in their state to prescribe controlled substances, because of this federal barrier, they were prohibited from prescribing buprenorphine. And so that was really a, 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 a huge barrier to pharmacists engaging in care for patients with opioid use disorder. And it also just kind of flies in the face of, of good policy to have pharmacists able to prescribe um, opioids in some states, but not able to prescribe um, medications to help patients that are struggling with opioid use disorder. So Congress, at the end of last year, removed that X waiver requirement. So there, that X waiver no longer exists, and, and we're thrilled about that. Uh, that is a longstanding ASHP advocacy priority, and, and those of you who've been engaged in ASHP advocacy uh, in the past couple of years will, will know that that has been something that has been raised by our members to their, uh, their, their representatives in Congress, um, including during ASHP's Policy Week. So we're, we're very proud of that um, that effort, but that doesn't actually completely empower pharmacists to, to engage in, in 
uh, treatment of opioid use disorder. So let's have a conversation about, about where that takes us. So maybe to start that conversation, um, Anna, why don't we turn to you uh, for some of the, the clinical background? Can you just explain a little bit about um, what uh, opioid use disorder treatment entails? Thanks for the question. One thing to point out is that the the terminology around this has changed. So we used to refer to the these as medication um, assisted treatment and or MAT, and that's why some of the legislation was on um, the, was called the MAT Act. And more recently, we have been calling it uh, medications for opioid use disorder, recognizing that um, that's a more accurate term to use for these medications and then also has uh, less stigma around them. So um, if for those of you that have been um, used to hearing MAT, uh, the new term is, is now medication for opioid use disorder or MOUD and that you'll see that more consistently in our communications as well. And um, it's important to recognize that substance use disorder and opioid use disorder is a, a chronic and relapsing illness. It has, it carries significant rates of morbidity or mortality. Tom mentioned the, um, the crisis that we're seeing in terms of overdose deaths, but also just the consequences that it has on families and, and society overall. And so there are medications to treat this. And we see the most um, effective response when MOUD is provided with appropriate counseling and psychotherapy. And since opioid use disorder is considered to be a chronic condition, uh, most patients will require indefinite treatment. As we're thinking about what medications are available for opioid use disorder, there are three primary ones um, currently, and uh, those include buprenorphine, methadone, and naltrexone. And there's uh, differences in each, which would warrant consideration for different patients and patient populations, uh, mechanisms of action, uh, requirements around um, indications or induction, uh, initiation of treatment, potential contraindications, considerations for special populations, monitoring parameters, and then some social considerations. So all of these things go into consideration and in determining which, of the, which is best for the patient that um, requires care. But in general, um, Methadone, uh, this is uh, an opioid receptor agonist, and it can only be dispensed for the purpose of using it in MOUD from an outpatient treatment program. So if you see methadone being dispensed from a pharmacy, it's only for the treatment of pain and not for OUD. And then naltrexone, uh, this is a mu opioid receptor antagonist, which means it requires complete withdrawal, withdrawal prior to initiation of therapy. So that's a special consideration for patients that may have an indication for naltrexone. And then buprenorphine, which is the one we've been talking more about these days, because of the recent policy changes, is the most commonly utilized form of MOUD. It is a um, opioid receptor partial agonist, and um, it has a preferable safety profile to, to methadone. It's just, it's important to remember that all of these, as I mentioned before, all of these have the potential to support recovery and to prevent overdose and death. So, uh, thank you, Anna. Can you maybe share a little bit about um, what the role of pharmacist has been in MOUD prior to the elimination of the X waiver? And then maybe we can turn to Kyle for his thoughts on how that landscape might change. Historically, pharmacists have um, 
are seen primarily of dispensers of medications for opioid use disorder and and there's there's some policy considerations that need to go in uh, that need to be taken into consideration for um, even just dispensing medications for opioid use disorder. But in terms of providing a service, which these patients deserve high touch uh, care and support, um, pharmacists have been historically kind of left out of that opportunity, largely because the X waiver had because it listed out specific provider types that were eligible to provide access to MOUD, a pharmacist were never listed as eligible providers. And then um, in addition, there were rules around MOUD prescribing that made engaging in team-based care through collaborative practice agreements or delegation pro- protocols challenging. So a provider had to personally evaluate a patient and sign off of a, on a treatment plan and then sign that prescription and then the delegation was not permitted. So um, those are a couple of reasons why um, we see a lot of opportunities now with the X waiver opening up. So Kyle, now that that X waiver has been removed, what do you see as the opportunities for pharmacists to engage more actively in uh, MOUD? Absolutely. And to just follow on to to what Anna was saying, you know, uh, there is not a great body of of research and sort of a, a clear blueprint for practice models just because uh, the regulations have been so restrictive and precluding so far. Um, you know, and also it is important to to mention just once again, right, that MOUD is just one portion of treatment for opioid use disorder, uh, and it needs to be provided in collaboration with psychosocial supports and psychotherapy. So I just want to be very clear that we're not suggesting that pharmacists have the ability to completely independently manage OUD. Uh, however, uh, given what we've established with the complete lack of, of availability of addiction medicine treatment and OUD treatment across the United States, there is a, a massive opportunity, uh, I believe, for pharmacists to be more involved actively in the provision uh, of opioid use uh, disorder treatment. So uh, it is important to note that OUD is fundamentally a medication use disorder and pharmacists are medication experts. So you know, simply by, by means of that, pharmacists are well positioned to, to further contribute to treatment of it. Um, but, you know, there are also well-established diagnostic tools uh, for assessing and evaluating opioid use disorder, the severity of the disorder, uh, the severity of a person's withdrawal. Uh, and typically, laboratory testing is generally not a necessary component of those assessments. Uh, pharmacists also, in all uh, patient care settings, have access to the patient's medication history and a knowledge and a skill set necessary uh, to evaluate and understand the patient's medication use patterns. Uh, and even, even outside of health system settings, pharmacists working in a community setting uh, are going to have access to a, a portion of the patient's medication history, uh, and they can still access the, the prescription drug monitoring uh, uh, program database, the PDMP, uh, to get an assessment of the patient's controlled substance prescription history. Uh, and all that can inform uh, their decisions to make treatments. So in, in the context of... Uh, ambulatory pharmacists working within uh, embedded in clinics and health systems and other settings, uh, they can now potentially take on a more active role in managing the induction and maintenance therapy uh, for patients who, who, uh, who are stable on their, their doses of MOUD. Uh, this will allow physicians with advanced training in addiction medicine to devote more of their focus on patients with significant complications because uh, this, you know, historically, OUD treatment has primarily been provided uh, in addiction medicine clinics uh, by addiction medicine specialists. Uh, however, again, there are not enough of those specialists out there to really meet all of the needs of OUD. 
Uh, so if we really uh, you know, broaden out the number of providers that uh, participate in this, we can really expand the provision of this treatment to be more sort of mainstream and primary care uh, and in a number of different settings and really reserve addiction treatment specialists uh, to treating the patients with the most complications and the highest level of needs. Uh, so by embedding pharmacists uh, in primary care clinics and addiction treatment clinics and really all of these clinics, pharmacists can expand the overall capacity of these clinics to see patients uh, and also expand the capacity of these addiction medicine specialists and physicians to really focus on the patients with the highest level of need. Uh, but it really doesn't stop at ambulatory pharmacists and clinics, really community pharmacists, um, practitioners could potentially hand off day-to-day -day management of patients who are stable and in the maintenance phase off to community pharmacists. Uh, you know, um, a, a big barrier to OUD treatment uh, and follow-up is that it does require a lot of follow-up. Uh, patients have to come in for assessments and to have their prescriptions renewed rather frequently. Uh, so if you could hand off those functions, especially for uncomplicated patients, uh, even to community pharmacists, uh, you can really expand the ability to keep people, uh, to maintain people's access to MOUD uh, and to maintain their, their stable uh, treatment. We can also leverage the overall accessibility of community pharmacists to really be an entry point into treatment uh, for OUD, for, for first-time patients that are initially seeking treatment. Uh, there's well-documented clinical evidence supporting that induction with buprenorphine can be done uh, in the patient's home uh, and outside of a, a clinic or emergency room setting. So it's not totally absurd to think that a patient could present to a pharmacist, request OUD treatment, the pharmacist could do an initial assessment, make a referral to get the patient connected to higher levels of care, and in the meantime, uh, manage their initial induction for a very short period of time while they wait for that handoff and a per, uh, referral to occur. At all points in this process, a pharmacist can provide the necessary support and expertise to expand OUD treatment uh, into areas where it is not currently, uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier. So, so that's the, the vision, but, but Kyle, we can't actually provide all those services kind of broadly across the country yet. Even though the X waiver has been removed, this really comes down to state law and this is really your area of expertise. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on at the state level? Yes, uh, so you know, the X waiver was a, a big, uh, getting the X waiver eliminated was big. Uh, and it, it removed the federal barriers, uh, but it's really just the beginning and not the end. Uh, so now the, the major federal barrier has been removed. It's really on the states to uh, empower and enable pharmacists to, to provide these level of services in the, in the way that we are envisioning they could be provided. Uh, so to answer your, your question, no pharmacist cannot uh, instantly provide these services everywhere just because the X waiver is gone. Uh, it is important to remind everybody that buprenorphine is a Schedule Three control substance and in order to prescribe buprenorphine uh, or other controlled forms of MOUD, a pharmacist would still need to be able to register with the DEA as a controlled substance prescriber before they could engage in any form of collaborative drug therapy management uh, for these, these uh, particular uh, medications. So uh, it's important to note that there's no federal prohibition uh, or DEA prohibition on pharmacists becoming controlled substance prescribers. However, the DEA will only allow pharmacists to register as controlled substance prescribers if the state where they practice allows for it. And as of the time of this recording, there are only 10 states that have established a process for pharmacists to register as controlled substance prescribers. Really quickly, those states are California, Idaho, Massachusetts, Montana, New Mexico, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, Utah, and Washington State. Uh, but even beyond the ability of pharmacists to be able to register with the DEA, we also need to take into account 
the fact that there needs to be appropriate flexibility uh, in state laws and rules that govern collaborative practice arrangements uh, and in pharmacists prescribing via statewide protocols to fully enable uh, the, the vision for pharmacists supporting uh, provision of MOUD that, that I outlined uh, just a few minutes ago. And so to help states really make that shift to, to recognizing pharmacists as eligible for that DEA registration um, and eligible to provide some of those some of those services you were describing, ASHP has put together two resources that we hope will, will enable states uh, to, to really leverage pharmacists. And those are a model legislation that, at, at the state level and model protocol. So Kyle, can you tell us about what those resources are and how we hope they'll be used? Absolutely. So again, this is a whole new world. A lot of these resources did not previously exist because there were just barriers that prevented them from being worked up. Uh, so a lot of states at this point, uh, a lot of clinicians, a lot of advocates uh, in various parts of the U.S. probably uh, want to be able to do this, but are unsure where to get started. So really, we developed these tools uh, to help start the conversation, uh, to give an idea of what the, the framework, uh, legislative and regulatory, would be to allow this to happen. Uh, so that, that's really the whole idea behind ASHP developing uh, this model legislation and these model protocols. Uh, really, the key elements of our model legislation uh, is it establishes a clear authority for pharmacists to uh, initiate MOUD uh, and participate in the provision of MOUD. Uh, it also, we included a, uh, a component to give the Board of Pharmacy authority uh, to develop statewide protocols uh, and to, to set a deadline or a timeline uh, for those statewide protocols to be developed. Uh, we also want to create, uh, ensure that the state creates a process uh, for pharmacists to register with the DEA, as those 10 states that I previously mentioned already have. Uh, and we just want to eliminate any other uh, prohibitions that might exist in the law that prevent those from occurring. Most frequently, those are uh, state pharmacy practice acts might uh, have a specific and explicit prohibition on pharmacists engaging in controlled substance prescribing. Uh, and secondly, a, most states have state controlled substances act. Uh, and those controlled substances acts usually include a definition of a controlled substance prescriber, uh, which might, again, explicitly uh, preclude or, or prohibit pharmacists uh, from being classified as controlled substance prescribers. So uh, our model legislation includes a provision to make sure that any uh, provisions in the Pharmacy Practice Act or the Controlled Substance Act of the state uh, are scrubbed uh, to allow for, for pharmacists to, to be able uh, to provide these services. Uh, and then finally, we include a payment mechanism uh, again, when we're talking about access to pharmacist services, uh, it's extremely important that uh, pharmacists have equal recognition uh, from payers uh, in terms of providing these services. We can't realistically expect the availability of these services to expand uh, if pharmacists are not being compensated for these services the same way that, that any other practitioner that would offer these services would. And Kyle, can you also mention the, the protocol, which I think will, will be really helpful to really advance practice once those uh, those legal changes are made. Right. So our model legislation does reference the development of a protocol, but we also, uh, to assist in that process, uh, wrote up a model protocol ourselves. Uh, and this model protocol is actually based on the uh, California State Board of Pharmacy. They, they're the first in the country. We have to give them uh, recognition for, for getting to the finish line first on this. Uh, they're the first to propose a potential pharmacist protocol uh, for initiation of MOUD. Uh, so we really, working off of that as a model, developed our own protocol. Uh, and this protocol could theoretically be used by a board of pharmacy for a statewide protocol, uh, but it also could be the basis uh, for a collaborative practice agreement between uh, pharmacists and individual practitioners uh, or institutional agreements uh, where a health system 
PNT committee or other authorities could uh, do a, a system-wide protocol uh, that would empower pharmacists to engage in these activities. Uh, and really, the protocol just formally identifies the different functions uh, that a qualified pharmacist would perform in providing uh, MOUD therapy uh, to patients with uh, opioid use disorder. Uh, and that includes the assessment process, the referral criteria, what treatments uh, the pharmacist is authorized to uh, initiate and manage as part of this protocol, uh, and what uh, documentation or reporting requirements would be required of the pharmacist to engage in this uh, so again, this could be the basis for statewide protocol. It could be the basis for an institutional protocol or a collaborative practice agreement. Uh, and again, all this is to say, uh, this is very new. Uh, so we are going to be, you know, continually thinking about how this pr uh, protocol could be optimized. We're going to be looking at uh, practice models that are developing in other states and other uh, health systems and incorporating all that uh, into this as well. But this is really meant to be, uh, you know, helping people to spur, to start this conversation, to, to think about, uh, the potential models that we could use to to leverage pharmacists for MOUD treatment. Thank you, Kyle. Um, you know, and I, I do want to emphasize this is this is this is going to take some effort to really uh, shift policymakers' uh, um, you know, interest in in leveraging pharmacists. I think there's a lot of demand from policymakers for solutions around MOUD, um, and so hopefully that that kind of appetite. Um, uh, hopefully, encourages policymakers to be open to some of these changes that we're describing, but we got to get the word out, right? So, um, so you know, when you are, are talking about concerns around um, opioid use disorder in your community, let people know that these resources are available, whether those are other clinicians, whether it's policymakers, whether it's community groups that are interested in, in OUD, um, we really need to to get the word out that, that these resources are available. We will post the, the a link to these resources and other resources on ASHP's uh, OUD uh, Resource Center. We can drop them into the show notes for this episode. And you can always access both policy and advocacy tools around uh, opioid use disorder, as well as clinical tools around opioid use disorder on ASHP's uh, Resource Center. Um, I do want to flag a couple other items before we wrap up. During the clinical discussion, Anna mentioned uh, methadone, and that is an area where there's also some policy development going on. I expect that we're going to see some movement around uh, greater flexibility around dispensing of, of methadone. That's an active discussion among members of Congress. And then in the telehealth space, there's been a lot of activity around DEA changes to um, initiation of uh, controlled substances via telehealth. And that's changing in light of the end of the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think those are topics that we're gonna need to come back to. Uh, if you're interested in these OUD topics, we'll, I think we can have a conversation with Jalan Schulte-Wall, who's really our regulatory expert and can talk about some of those changes. So uh, Anna and Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, listeners, again, please uh, look at those resources on ASHP's uh, opioid resource pages and in the show notes of this episode. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.